0: Hey everyone, I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait to get into it and share it with you. But I just wanted to remind you before we get going today to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter EMS Pulse. Right now we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're going to be offering, lots of language programs. Lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first-time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening. I really want to share it with you guys, and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites, expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy today's episode. Cheers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the co-founder of Beach Commute. She's a career coach and has been a digital nomad for over five years, visiting over 60 countries. At Beach Commute, they help digital nomads figure out what remote job opportunities exist, which they're best suited to do, and where to find remote job opportunities, and how to increase your chance of getting a job offer, and how to tactfully negotiate remote terms. Okay, I'm really interested in this one. So, please welcome to the show, Marissa Medden. Marissa, how are you?
1: Hi, Mikhail. I am doing great. Excited to chat with you today.
0: I'm very excited to have you here. So, why don't you take a minute, I guess, and talk us through your backstory. How did you become a digital nomad? But more than that, how did you decide that you wanted to work in the digital nomad field to help other people to be digital nomads.
1: Yeah, I never could have imagined that would have been the case before, which is is kind of fun. So I'm going to quickly give you like the, the very top line version and jump in anywhere you want to learn more can dig in afterwards. Because I started with a, a very typical corporate background. I was working at PepsiCo, uh, the big beverage company around the world, and I was living in New York and LA. And I actually started working remotely in L.A. for my company. My boyfriend had moved there at the time. And it was the first time I was not in the office. I was saving like three hours commuting every day. And that was the first kind of shift and moment that started. From there, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which... (laughs)
0: Again, <laughs> again. I know. Again, again. The, I, know. <laughs>
1: I love it half the people half the people like me too and half the people just roll their eyes cuz it is that cliche version for so many nomads, but it was really just the first way. The first time I saw a book, it was back in 2014. I was reading it on a beach in Hawaii and I was like, there's another way to live. What am I, what am I doing, you know? So, from there, I started several businesses. The first thing I did was start an e-commerce bakery business. From there, I started an online course helping families with college admissions. From there, I started career coaching and then traveling the world as well while I was doing um, the college business too. That one actually still exists. And then from there, I started Beach Commute with two of my traveling friends. So with all of it, and what I love to help people do is listening to cues along the way. Like I never knew about coaching. I never could have imagined I would you know, help digital nomads you know, people become digital nomads because I wasn't one. I didn't know. So that's the the bird's eye view story. But let me know if you want to dig in anywhere.
0: OK, so the first thing is with the first businesses that you did, were they successful businesses or were they like stepping stones to get to you, you to where you are today?
1: A little bit of both. They were successful in the fact that they were making money, bringing in revenue, all of that. I would say for me, I kept pivoting, like right as soon, you know, with any business, it takes a little bit of time for you to get that runway, get up and going for people to, you know, have testimonials and know who you are and and all of that. So it was kind of a, a blessing and a curse. I would get it right to that point where I was like, okay, this could really you know, expand if I hire out and, and make it bigger. And then I was like, but I'm interested in this next thing.
0: Shiny object syndrome.
1: <laughs> very much so. And so as I think back to it and, and as a coach myself now, I really ask myself like, Was I just giving up because, uh, you know, it was starting to get easier? It was getting to that place where I had to invest more and, you know, grow a team and I didn't want to do, you know, I didn't, couldn't just work by myself anymore. Or was I really just listening to my intuition and listening to the clues of what I was actually genuinely interested in? And I do think it's the latter. And now I'm at a point where I feel so excited and so in the flow, both coaching and doing this beach commute business um, with two of my friends who I love so much. And it is just so fun to work with them. And I feel like this is it for, for the long term um, for a while. So, you know, catch me in a year. We'll still we'll see. But it's it's a good question because I, I do think I had to take those steps. And as I look back, each one really led me to understand what I really loved and what I didn't. So it's, it's a really tricky kind of balance to find.
0: Okay, That makes sense. Well, we will get into all the tips and tricks and things that you do help your people with. But let's, before we get into that, talk to me a little bit about the travel and a little bit more of the history of how you started Beach Commute. And I'm interested in like your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started traveling. I So I quit Pepsi back in 2016. So from it took two years from the time I read that Tim Ferriss book to quit my job. And for me it really was sparked by a lot of personal change so i was living in los angeles i was engaged working for pepsi and i left that engagement i moved i didn't know where i wanted to be but i was working remotely for pepsi so i was like bouncing around between atlanta back to which is where i'm um, originally from to new york and just trying to figure out what i wanted to do with my life and i was super lost knew i i had known at that point i was like i don't love brand marketing i don't want to work for a giant company but i didn't know what would be better So I had this, you know, work from wherever in the world in my mind. So that's why I started that first business with the goal of, I know, so it was, it was baking brownies, doing all the things, shipping out for like gifting occasions. And my goal was, I knew I'd have to be in person. I moved back to Atlanta to do this, but eventually I was like, I can just outsource all of that part and run the business from my laptop. That was the goal. I realized that I hated baking (laughs) along the way. Um, (laughs) This is a family business I had kind of brought back to life, which is why it happened. But during that time, I was learning how to grow my email list and all of that. And so... I came across an ad basically that was like, learn to grow your email list. It was all about online courses. So I started that helping families with college admissions and that's when I could really travel. So that business did well enough to make money and I was working on it, it was fully remote. So in 2018, this is then again, two years later. So it really did take me a lot of time to figure it all out. And I like to help people take the shortcut now. Yeah, so I I booked a one way flight to Bali. Was my first stint. I'm like the super cliche digital nomad, <laughs> Tim Ferriss in Bali, right?
0: I'll be quiet.
1: I know. I, I feel the judgment in myself. <laughs> it's not judgment.
0: It's judgment. It's, it's not judgment. It's it's cute. I like it. I think it's, it's cute. awesome. Well, yes. It's it's great, and I love Tim Ferriss, and I think that he's one of the most amazing people in the world because he has inspired so many people to do such amazing changes in their life. And honestly, I'm jealous. I want to inspire that many people. Like I want to get that type of reach. It's just so funny because it's like a it happens.
1: i don't even follow him too much now i'll check in here and there but i did hear an interview with him where he wanted to update that book because it's it's a little bit out of date now in terms of you know the internet wasn't the same software wasn't the same the actual logistics of it and he was like i'm afraid to touch it like it was such gold he was like i don't want to mess up whatever magic it was but yeah. So since then, I, I definitely travel far more off the beaten path now. I've been to over 60 countries. I've tra- traveled solo, like in the Middle East all over. I lived in Oman for a month, you know, Nigeria for a month. I've, I'm have i definitely off just the Bali path, but I I would love to go back to Bali soon. It is a magical place. But yeah, that was really the first time I started that. And it wasn't until probably a year ago when we started beach commute, because I took, I had, I've been career coaching now for three or four years, just to have such love for coaching and helping people, you know, Tim Ferriss, I was like, but one-on-one change their lives from the inside out in that way. And I had so many people who would come to me and say, you know, I wish I could live your life. And I was like, well, you can, you know, if you want my help, I'm here, but you can only help people who who want to be helped. So Beach Commute was really the next step to scale that in a bigger way to say, how can we help more people live this lifestyle? And one of my co-founders is the uh, co-founder of Wi-Fi Tribe. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but basically uh, some people are familiar with remote year. It's basically kind of groups who meet together for a month at a time, travel together. And that's where I started off in, in Bali and then in Thailand. So he's been in the digital nomad space for five years, really for people who are already digital nomads to come and have a community, I would say. But he had so many people on his email list where he was like, you know, all of these people would love to be digital nomads, but they don't know what how they don't know what jobs they don't know what skills they have and so we really combined our our kind of two lives and then brought in another friend who's great with digital marketing and things like that and that's how beach commute cut started
0: but it's it's actually a step further backwards for the clients who don't yet have an online business and are generating income so you're teaching them how to do that and then set things up in a way that it's already positioned so they can be digital nomads. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it was really beautiful how it started. It was during COVID. So he and I met, he was in Bali uh, back when I was there in 2018. And I was talking to him so long, he had this huge email list of people. And I was like, Diego, like, what are you doing with this, this whole group, you know, who would love to be here, but they don't do that yet. But he was, you know, his whole bandwidth was just taken up by running this community and logistics of, you know, having, 100 nomads all over the world at any given time and setting up apartments and things like that. And then COVID hit, right? So back in... March of last year 2020 he you know nobody could travel his business was not happening and he came to me and was like all right Marissa I got the time now like let's (laughs) let's do this coaching thing you've been you know how can we do this you know work with this list and so during that time we um, we decided to run a live program to kind of test it out we took a small group at a pretty high price point did one-on-one coaching for a month or I guess two two one. it was a group of people and the two of us for for this there's I say I always tell people there's three different ways you can be a Nomad in terms of making an income. You can be an entrepreneur, start your own business. You can be a freelancer, or you can work for an existing company as an employee the way you would anywhere, but you just happen to be able to do that from anywhere in the world. And that's, I guess, the fourth way would be have passive, totally passive income and, and money and all of that. Um, but if you're working, those are the three ways. So I'd, I'd say the kind of lowest hanging fruit, uh, if you want to say that, is to help people figure out how do you get a remote job for existing company because as i just talked about it can take years to you know for your own business to be uh, making enough money for you to really live off of so the goal is to say if if you are listening to this and you have a dream of traveling the world what is the quickest and fastest way that you can have an income to support you to do that and that's by getting hired by an existing company so for now that's what we're focusing on in the future we'll probably build out how to be a freelancer, how to do the entrepreneurial thing, maybe investments, all, all sorts of things. And then really the coaching, because so much of it is a mindset to believe that you can. So the course is really a mixture of literally what jobs exist out there. What can you do? Which one is right for you? That's one of my gifts that i love to help people with. And then also to have that mindset of, of you can do it. And what are the things that are holding you back? Because for everybody, there's, there's never a right time. There's always obstacles.
0: Okay. So Let's talk about the tips and the tricks and those things in a few minutes. But you mentioned mindset, and I think mindset is massively important and something that people do need to get straight in their heads really before anything else. So I guess off the bat, what have you noticed when you're working with your private clients? What are the objections? What are the things that keep coming up these barriers that you need to help them with?
1: Yeah. So when it comes specifically to kind of transitioning to the digital nomad life or getting jobs, a lot of it is, I, I guess, kind of limiting beliefs or thoughts that we tell ourselves that everyone else who does this is special and and I'm not, or I don't have the skills to do that without even knowing what the skills are, right? Or I'm, I'm not capable or a big one with this when it comes to to jobs in particular, a lot of people don't even know what they want. Like if you took travel out of the equation and we're like, what do you want to do in life? They're like, I don't even know. So how could they imagine, you know, finding that dream job to do remotely? And then on top of that, if I think back to myself and and so many clients are the same, when I had this dream in mind, I knew nobody else personally who was living this life. And so I would follow people on Instagram. I don't, you know, I don't even know how I decided it was, it was possible, but I was like living in this online world surrounding myself with people who were doing it because everyone in my life thought I was pretty crazy. And, you know, as you tell your, my, my family, they were nervous for me. They thought I was ruining my career. They thought, you know, they're scared also, and it's all out of love. Right. So as you as you think about if if you're someone listening and you're like I would love to be able to travel the world full time, live in a different country every month. I'm getting goosebumps talking about this because I love it so much. But you know everybody has different fears that come up or different obstacles that say. Well, I'll just let, I, I'm just going to wait until my next promotion and then I'm going to do it. Right. And then you wait till your next promotion, or I'm just going to wait until my lease is up or my partner couldn't ever, ever travel, or I have a pet, which you know, I have a place. What am I going to do with my stuff? So there's no one size fits all. And so when I do one-on-one coaching, it's just really digging in to see like, what is it holding you back? And there's that phrase, there's never a right time. There's always going to be a friend's wedding coming up or, you know, if someone's going to have a baby or, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so there's so many things with this. It's such a huge life change that there's so many easy things that can hold us back. And so it's really digging in to say like, what is that thing for you? And I'll say that it all feels very real, right? It's I'm not going to be like, oh, it's, oh, you know, like health insurance is a big one. People are worried about going to get sick or go to hospital and and be alone. So they're all very real things, right? You really do have friends getting married. You really do have a partner who won't travel or a home and stuff in that home. What do you do with, but if travel is important enough to you. And for me, I was like, there's, there is no other way I'm going to figure this out. And that's what I help clients do as well. So when I talk about mindset People like to blame it on just like, well, that's nice for you. Or like if I only had the skills and, and that's really the easy part at the end of the day, it's really uncovering all that stuff underneath of the, I say the excuses that you make. And I say that with total love because they feel so big and so real.
0: So do you find that you are good at this because you had a lot of these limiting belief patterns at the beginning of your journey as a digital nomad?
1: That's a really great question. I think it helps me relate to people, but in general, as I've worked as a coach, I I really do believe and truly feel that I have a very unique gift of, I'm very empathic, I'll say. I can feel what other people are feeling and I'm really good with coaching techniques to help people come to the conclusions themselves and rewire it. So with coaching, again, I can maybe quicker put together those points because I've been through it, but some people are totally different than me and have totally different blocks than I did, right? So with with coaching, we dig in, see all of those stories we're telling ourselves, you know, that that you are telling yourself when you want to do this. And I think that some people just stop with the awareness and say, okay, this is what you currently believe. Here's the truth, but it's still a discrepancy, right? So if you're like, I think that I'm scared that I'm going to get sick somewhere. And I know that's, what's holding me back. And I could just say to you, great, well, like stop being scared, but easier said than done. Right. So I think one of the gifts that I really have as a coach is helping people not only have the awareness, but then like move through that and actually feel safer, know or or know the risk. It's not I'm not going to say like, all right, Mikhail, you will never get sick, and nothing will happen to you travel. Like I can't tell you that, but I can help you to say, you know, what is the risk and what is the reward? What is worth it? Actually, let me tell you some stories about sometimes I have gone to the hospital or taken my friend somewhere, or had to get sickness and and just help people kind of overcome that and really step into the new belief that it's okay, and i'm I'm gonna be okay or are you? You know, Those,
0: those are the questions. See, I do coaching and consulting as well. My coaching and consulting is so very different. I mean, I do like advanced tax planning and immigration consulting and things like this. And I know that the mindset stuff is important. My biggest problem is I started traveling internationally as a teenager. So my limiting belief patterns are from 21 years ago about why I can't travel. And at the same time, it was like, like I had limiting belief patterns. I was still in puberty. I mean, like the like that's all that that time is. But for me, traveling was never a difficult thing. It was not something that I struggled with or hummed and hawed. Or I've just been so excited since day one. So in that regard, I'm a terrible consultant. I'm a terrible coach. So it's like it, it it's just interesting for me because I just don't have these things like about worried about getting robbed or being sick? Or what if I'm not going to make money? Or what if I'm not going to make friends? I'm like, well, I will. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm a cool guy. I'm going to make friends. Like, that's easy for me. You know, it's interesting. I think it's important stuff. I just don't know how to do it. So <laughs> I guess my, my question to you is like, how, like, how do you how do you be empathic to help people through these types of things?
1: I love one thing I'm going to answer that, but I want to point out that you're like, you know, it's easy for me to make friends like traveling. There is no fear for me. And it's so funny. I have a client and when and when I do coaching, most people come to me to start for career stuff, but it very quickly delves into much deeper stuff. It might be people's fear of coming out, you know, about their sexuality or making friends or having the courage, you know, I can say, go reach out to these different companies to network because you want a new job, but they have confidence issues from childhood and they're afraid of getting rejected. And so they don't even reach out, right? There's all of these things. And so as I coach people, I I had one client I'll never forget this. Hers was more about sexuality and being comfortable talking about that. And it was so deep and so heavy for her. And one day she came to me and she was thinking, she's like, Marissa, I realize you have all of these different clients. And I was like, yes. And she was like, well, all of them must come to you because like they have a thing. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. But for her, it's like, our own stuff feels so heavy. And the things that come, I'm like you are making friends is like the easiest, most fun. Don't even think twice about it because it just happens. But for a lot of my clients, a lot of my clients that come to me are very lonely, don't have many friends. And like, that is something that's really hard for them. So when you ask, you know, back to that question before of, are you good at it? Because you've been through it all. Not always. Like sometimes I can relate to something, but a lot of times with coaching and I have a certification and definitely learned some different tactics and things like that. But sometimes I say, I I think I get paid one to be myself. I've always been really good at this. It's my skill that comes naturally. And two, I always say I almost get paid to like read self-development books. I'm, I'm obsessed with them. I love them. And it's like, I pull tactics from different places, but I think the beauty about being a coach, and I guess this is the difference between a coach and a mentor, right? If you think about a mentor, it's like, I've been there, I've done that, here's the shortcut how." And that's kind of what you're saying with like taxes or or travel or like, here's how you book a flight, here's how you do this. As a coach, it's really helping you to figure out what's best for you. So, I don't always know the answers, but I know how to listen and you know how to ask the right questions for you to come to your own answers. And I'm really good at hearing the difference between like what's, I don't know if you're familiar, people talk about the ego versus your intuition. So, your mind versus like that gut instinct to say, like, what answers are you telling me that are based in your brain and fear? And what is it intuitively that you really want to do? And so, if it comes to travel, for example, Someone might come to me and if I only had my own beliefs, I'd be like, you must go travel the world. You know, all the countries are amazing. It's the best life. And a lot of people want to live that, but some people have no interest. And so if I was not listening and made someone do that, it might not be what they want to do. So it's really asking people to say like, hey, what do you love? Do you want to travel the world? You know, what's worth it? You have this thing that you're scared of. Let's, let's talk about it. What's that about? Is that worth overcoming for you to not be sitting on your couch for the rest of your life in one place? You know, so a lot of it, I think, comes to people really trusting me, coming at it with a lot of empathy and just asking people questions and being able to discern the difference between, yeah, what's just fear in their head and what do they really want in life?
0: Well, let's let's turn things around. Let's turn them upside down. And, and I'll use myself as an example. Yeah, I am a massively confident, strong person. Not be like I don't travel because I'm a strong person. I'm a strong person because I traveled. Like it's like a chicken in the egg type of thing. You know, I built my confidence and self reliance because I've traveled so much. Because I've done these things. Because I know that you can drop me on any country in the world, and by the end of the day, I will have a warm meal in my stomach, a beer in my hand, a friend, and a roof over my head. Like it's like yeah, it's it's like. Up is like, yeah, like the grass is green and the sky is blue. Like these are absolute, you know. Mikel
1: will find food and a roof and a friend and a by the end of the yes, day absolutely. in any country and a beer. <laughs> That's your fact, yes. That yeah. <laughs> so, it is not everybody's. <laughs> my
0: confidence comes from traveling. So I say this not because I'm trying to be brag, Like I'm, I'm kind of half joking and obviously being a bit of a dick through this. But I mean, my point is that if you do not have confidence confidence and you want to have lots of confidence well the best way to do that is to go out there and do challenging things things that put you in difficult situations and travel is an excellent example of that it like will teach you so much about yourself and so much well like obviously so much about the world but so much about the inside about who you are as a person and develop you into the person that you want to be so my my Only thing that I could say to this is, if you want to travel and you want to have more confidence, then go out there and do it, and you will you will get it. I mean, it it logically happens; they follow one another.
1: For sure, yeah. My, I'm like you two. I'm just generally a very confident person, but travel has just given me like I feel like I could solve anything in the world because you're put in these countries all over where you just have to figure things out, or you don't know anyone, and it's different, but. I will say with that, I started with smaller steps, right? Like I didn't just go solo to the Middle East by myself for the first time when I was doing this. So for me, um, I started, I would go for like a week or two and I would see if I could get like a college friend to come with me and would say, all right, it's like, here's the first step and then come back. And then the first one I did alone, I went to Costa Rica, which I was already very familiar with. And I went for two weeks by myself and tried the working thing and I came home. And then I said, okay, I want to book a one way ticket. I'm going to rent my condo out for four months. I had a wedding to come back to at the end. And I joined Wi-Fi tribe, which I mentioned earlier. So it's kind of like a built-in group of friends. And I said, you know, when I flew there, I wasn't alone. I was going to meet 12 people who were also working. And I knew I was coming, you know, I didn't sell my condo. I didn't like burn everything I owned. I put it in storage. I left my furniture there. I rented it out and i came back and i you know when i did that i said okay if i if i love it and it feels good i'll keep doing it and if i hate it and it was scary and i was lonely then i'll stop right so that's kind of how i built up to this. I I never could have done what I do today right away. And even taking a step further, I had a client in the US who she was um, a little bit older and wanted to start traveling, but had a lot of different fears. And so I said, okay, can you look on Airbnb? She loved like the mountains. I was like, find a place like two hours from where you are and just go take a solo trip for the weekend. And then after that, she rented like a van and went for like four days. And so you can kind of with with all of that that's why as a coach it's like let's take where you are and see like what's the next step and what's the next step and what's the next step it doesn't have to be you know some people the right next step is like burn all your stuff and jump off the cliff and fly um but everybody's a little bit different so that's why you know it really just depends who you are and like you said if you've been traveling since you were younger you probably already had a lot of those baby steps built in that you know you you took for granted that you, you know, you didn't even know. And so as you do it, you get more and more comfortable. And now you're like, you could put me anywhere in the world. I will find my way out. I will get my beer. I will get my thing. And that's, that's learned, right? So it's, it's beautiful, but everybody starts in a different place and we all naturally have different fears. Like I was talking to one of my co-founders, we were talking, we we're doing a podcast episode about just loneliness and fear and things like that. And I was talking about even in between places, if I'm leaving a group of friends, this is after like five years of traveling and I'm going to meet another friend like somewhere else, there's those moments where I'm alone in the airport where I'm like, what am I doing? I hate this. I should just go home. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, you don't feel that. And so everybody's, you know, I still have that. And then a second I get there, I'm like, thank God I'm here. Like I should never go home, but everybody's totally different is, is my point.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. Everyone is completely different. And, and thank goodness we are. I mean, I'm not looking for a place where like, 8 billion McKells. Oh my God. Exactly.
1: That
0: sounds <laughs> <laughs> like hell. We I'm enough. I'm enough for myself, let alone any more people like me. <laughs> okay. So let's that all makes sense. And I think that the work that you do is is very, very helpful and very beneficial because people do, do need a helping hand and, and someone to talk through with them on these types of things. Like I think that the work that you do is very, very valuable.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times I think as a coach, we don't even know what those, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so it's really beautiful. Like I still work with a coach every week myself, because even as a coach, I can, coach myself a lot better than, than most people, but there's still things we, you cannot see in yourself, right? Sometimes I'll have a client and I'll tell them to go do one thing and I'll go talk to my coach and she'll tell me to do the same thing. And I'm like, how did I miss that? Right? Like, so I think just with the coach, you might think that your fear is like, well, I don't, I don't have a job, but really it's, you're totally afraid of medical, you know, insurance and someone just saying like, hey, you can buy this insurance. Here's what you do and here's how it works. But if you don't, if you don't have that awareness you can't move forward. And so working with a coach is just so helpful to really pull out your blind spots, I would say.
0: I've hired lots of coaches in my life, but they've always been business coaches or marketing coaches, very skill-based things where it's like I was trying to figure out copywriting and the messaging and I needed someone, you know, those were the types of things. Mindset stuff is not something I've ever, no. (laughs) I mean, I've read like, hundreds, possibly thousands of self-development books. So I guess you could count that. And like, I've been to Tony, Tony Robbins multiple times and, you know, lots of uh, summits and events and conferences and things like that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I had a friend recently reach out, someone who I'd met uh, about two and a half years ago traveling and he came to me for some career coaching help. But very quickly, like I get under the surface because like you're saying, and, and by the way, I'm also, I do all the mindset stuff, but I'm also like you, where I love like the copywriting and sales page and business tactics and marketing. But to me, if you don't pair them together, like when I first started, I have had a lot of money mindset work to do on myself where I had like all the guilt in the world of, Desiring money when I'm traveling around and seeing so many people with so little. And so, as an entrepreneur, even as a coach, asking people for money to begin with was like something that was really hard for me or you know setting those big goals. And so you could you 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 could have and did, and I taught myself and worked with coaches of like all the tactics in the world. And until I uncovered that money stuff within me of how I'm blocking myself, like my businesses will never take off. And so, I think it's so important to pair it all together.
0: Well, I'll give you some insights on this one. I used to do just anything and everything for free. I mean, I've built this podcast. I've built a blog and newsletters and everything like that. Free, 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 free. People ask me questions. They email me stuff. Free, 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 free. I'll tell you what, those people, 99% of them do not get any results. They just don't. I mean, like they ask a question about how to do this, how to do this. I spend half an hour responding to them and half the time I don't get a response or I get like a one line, hey, thanks. And I just know like and like I see the same people come up and it's like, no. Now, when I start working with private clients and they pay for things, we start doing calls together. And I'm like, OK, let's go through this, 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 all these different tracks And then they call me like a week later. Okay, this is done. I got this immigration thing. My FBI check is done, blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay, what's next? All right, bang, 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 bang. And then at the end of like three months, and it's like the transformation is massive because they've reached into their wallet and they've paid at the very beginning. So therefore, my thesis, my, my idea is you are actually doing people a disservice if you do not charge them for things by like, okay, the podcast is free and I do lots of stuff that's free. I'm not saying I charge for everything, but the people that really want to make a change, the ones that do it are the ones that pay. So it's okay. You should charge people. The work you do Thanks, is coach. important. Marissa.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Mikhail. It is, it is. And I definitely know that as well. You know, if someone offers a free course, even if like the most important person in the world was like, here's my free course. If it's, you know, if I don't invest in it and pay for it, you don't have that exchange. And I definitely, I knew that intellectually, right? Like I listened to all the same things that you do and I would hear that. But when it came time, I was like, oh, like it, it felt so hard. And then also charging my worth, right? To like keep upping those prices and things like that. So it's been a learning process, but I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like if you want something, it helps so much to invest in it, whether it's, you know, money especially, but whatever it is, a trade, it's, it's important to have that fair exchange because otherwise, yeah, people are like, whatever, like it's, it's not worth anything.
0: Yeah. And as you get paid, then you can dedicate more time to making yourself be better at your trade and profession. If you are not charging, well, then you need to go out there and get another job. You're working back at, I don't know, back back at Pepsi or, you know, working at something else to get money. And then you're going to be doing this in your free time. That's not really how you're going to be the best. So it's, it's once again, a chicken and an egg type of a thing. So you doing people a disservice. And I will also comment that when I pay $1,000 or $2,000 for an online course or a training program, I mean, I am sitting down, I am doing it. I got my pen in hand. If I get it for free or it's like just a YouTube video, I mean... I'm doing that, but I'm also on Twitter and I'm also like responding to emails and like having a conversation with my wife or something.
1: It's wild how mentally it is that because it could be the exact same content, but the way you invest yourself, your time, your energy, your attention, it is so different how you show up for those things. So I'm the same as you now. Like I just invested in a thousand dollar course that is kind of business money, money mindset, all the things. Yeah, and I've charged more and more from my coaching for our courses and stuff now because I I finally learned that. But to your point when you're saying, like, I've only done the business side. To me, like, I I do all that deep emotional work on myself. On top of it, and I guess uh, to circle back that friend who um, just came to me for coaching who thought it was just a career choice, like, there's so many deeper stuff underneath it. And he is also a super intelligent person. Like you and I has read all the things. And I was doing one of these kind of like intuition, like really helping him to understand all of these deeper things. And he was like, wow, Marissa, like I've read all these things and I've heard people talk about it and been to the events. But he was like, I've never felt it. I, I never knew how to do this myself. So it's really neat what you can start to uncover. And and really as a coach, it's like I'm providing, I want to provide the tools for people to be able to to do this themselves. So it's... I love it. It's fun.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world there are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries who are digital nomads who are expats who have gone offshore and there's just so much there so i'm really excited about it i hope you can see that i'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than i ever expected and a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are you are an awesome person i really really appreciate it so if you guys want to get involved if you want to join the conversation then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on facebook directly you can search for expat money forum you'll find us there we should come up on the very first page and yeah join the group join the conversation lots happening there okay let's jump back into today's interview All right, let's get into some of the the things that I mentioned at the beginning for the buyer. So we talked about job opportunities that exist, the remote jobs and how to like tactfully negotiate remote terms. I like this one. I think this one's going to be really neat because I can just kind of see like, you know, if you already have an existing job, how to kind of convince your job, hey, I've got an idea for you you're going to pay me the same amount of money and I am no longer going to come in. And into I will be around,
1: not only that, I will be around the world on a beach. Yeah. A lot of employers don't go, doesn't go over so well.
0: Yeah. Okay. So with this in mind, where should we start? Let's, let's break it down. I, I'm going to, I want to know it all.
1: Yeah. So I kind of break down what's inside the course. And then again, feel free to, to probe deeper on any of the topics. So, I guess the the overall part of the course is if you are someone who either has a job that you are, you know, maybe could be remote, like you were saying, maybe you can negotiate, but you're not remote yet, or you have a job that, or, or you don't even have a job, but you wish you had a job that you could do, you know, from your laptop remotely while you travel the world, this is the course for you, right? It's meant to help you get that job that you can open up your laptop, move around countries, all of that. So inside of it, there's kind of several different parts. The first part is what I really geek out on, which is like, what's the right career for you? So many people that we talked to to start with were like, I mentioned this earlier, but like, what skills do I even have that could be general? Or what skills do I even have in general for any job? And what I'm really gifted at helping people is to say like, okay, here's kind of the most common jobs, but now let's ask, and it's all about asking the right questions, right? Like, what are you really good at? What is what I call your zone? Of genius? How does that translate to the work that you should be doing, to the companies that you could be working for that you would actually love and that you can do remotely? I've traveled with like thousands of different people with all different jobs and I'm really great at helping people kind of connect those dots of how do I do this remotely? From there, so now let's pretend you're like, okay, I know the job I want to apply for and do. The next part of that is like, how do you get the job, right? So where do you find all of the remote job postings? And then how do you have the best chances of getting it? A lot of people make A very normal mistake, which is like that rapid fire. Okay, I'm just going to submit my resume to like 75 different companies every single day and something's going to work out, versus applying to far fewer companies, but really putting your time and energy in the right way. I teach people how to find people at those companies, connect, network, you know, actually get your foot in the door so that you can. Get that job because otherwise, even if you know what you want to do, it doesn't help if if you can't get the job, right? So fix, uh, you know, even within it, it's how do you fix your resume, optimize it, reach out, all of that. And then from there, the next part, and this is where Diego, who's my co-host of the course, really does an amazing job. And this is what you were asking about was that negotiation. So he is hired as a zillion remote workers for his company over time. And it's really, it's a really delicate dance of how do you ask to go remote or how do you, you know, maybe someone's hiring a remote job, but in their head, it's like, you'll be in your home, in your country, in this one place. And the second you say you're going to be at a beach, they're like, excuse me, (laughs) you're going to be where? And how does that work with?
0: Okay, so pause on that one. Do you think that ethically, do you feel like you need to disclose to the employer that where you're going to be located? Like, like, is Um, it really any of their business that you're sitting at a cafe on the beach doing your work? I mean, in my mind, it's kind of like, well, I mean, is the work getting done? Yes or no?
1: Yeah. That is a really fabulous question. I've traveled with a lot of people who just were like, don't ask, don't tell. They think I'm somewhere else. You know, I was with a guy in Thailand and they thought he was in Washington state the whole time. And he was working from like 7 PM till four in the morning. And he was like, I just, they'll never know. Um, And I have a lot of friends actually who have done that, but all I would, I will say every single one of them really had this guilt factor and they're like, They're not like posting about it because they're supposed to be elsewhere. So, if you were hired, you know, there's some companies that are totally remote first. They don't ask, you know, maybe or even like freelance work. If I hire someone to do something, I don't care where they are. And I'm very, but because I travel, like that, I'm like, you be wherever you want if you get this done. I don't care if you do it at three in the morning or 3 p.m., whatever. Right. So, it just depends because a lot of companies do kind of freak out if you're in a different country because they think it has tax implications for themselves or insurance exactly but so and that's one of those mental things that holds people back right so if people are able to negotiate like they feel better they feel more in the clear they don't feel like they're doing something like dirty and wrong or that they have to hide it so i think it works out better but sometimes if you're in a situation where it's like really just nobody cares i don't think you have to say like today i'm in colombia tomorrow. I'm in Thailand. Like, you know, maybe they don't care, but a lot of people want their employer to know that like, they're going to be in different places and moving around and that sort of thing.
0: I had literally someone the other day I was talking to and they asked their, their boss, they said they were going to go move overseas and the boss refused. It was like, not, not that the, the job, like the job was fine. They were already doing remote work. They actually thought that there would be tax obligations if they were living in another country. I'm like, No, I mean the money is being paid to your US bank account. You are still employed by a US company. If you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world, that company is not going to have to file a tax return in the countries that you're in. It just, that's not how it works.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the education. And I'd love to have you on our podcast sometime to talk about all of this. We'll have to swap. But even within that, you know, a lot of people don't know that, right? If you're an employee and you're asking your employer to go remote and that's their fear, if you don't know the answer to that question, like you're kind of, you would be like, oh, maybe I should, I can't travel. I guess you're right, right? Um, so even just having this education on topics like that of like, within the course, it's a lot of, it's pretty much every objection you might hear from your employer. Perfect. Yeah. And how do you know, you know, become educated yourself enough to say, I, I totally understand your fear and your concern about that. Here's actually how this works, right? Here's the actual facts or here's, you know, I know you might be concerned that I'm not going to have Wi-Fi. Here's how I'm going to ensure A, B and C ways that like, I will be more connected than you've ever, you know, than I ever even was here. Right. So it's really talking about how do I ask what those concerns are. And then how do I, you know, very politely, and that's why it's that delicate dance, come up with all the ways where it's fine. Because I don't know if you'd surprise so many employers do have that question. They really do think that like they can't, for tax reasons, let that employer go. So there's all sorts of reasons and that's all covered in the course.
0: Well, I think that's really good because being prepared for this seems to me like a very good idea. Like, I mean, if you, especially on the first meeting with your boss and and we're using this example of a job that you already have, but if you go into that and you're prepared and you know the answers, well then getting to yes is going to be a lot easier. If you're like, let me get back to you about that, you know, that that could cause some problems and you, I don't know, maybe you would blow your chance to, to make this happen.
1: I do really think that you kind of have that one shot. There's lots of different ways to say, like, could we do a test for one month? Or could I work first travel around my country and see how that goes and then, you know, go abroad? So there's lots of different ways, but it does not that it's 100% like a one shot and done, but a lot of times it kind of is. And that's the same if you're asking your current employer or let's say, you know, I'm interviewing with you and you give me a job offer where it's, you know, listed as remote and you're like, Marissa, we love you. Here's the job it's remote, but they're thinking work, you know, from home and whatever city or state or country you're already in. And you say, you know, great. Okay. So I'm going to fly to Mexico next month. And they're like, excuse me. Right. So even with that, within the course, we teach, like, as you're applying for new jobs and having these conversations and, you know, it even works for negotiating your salary and things like that. But at what point are you having those conversations? Because you don't want to do it too early where they're like, you know, wait, we haven't even given you the job yet. You don't wanna do it too late where they're like, wait, you already accepted this thing. Like now you're asking. So there's a really like opportune time. And and we teach all of that inside the course of how do you really do it? But also in a way that feels like a win-win for everybody. So you're not just like, thanks for the job or, you know, this has been great. I'm heading across the world now. But like, how does that employer feel like it's a win for them too? And that's what we really teach.
0: Amazing. Now I have another question on the same type of lines, what is your opinion with the negotiating of the salary? Because I have mine, but I'm going to let you go first. And then let's see where we compare on this.
1: Yeah. So what is your question about like,
0: like, I mean, what should you be asking for a salary? Like, I mean, okay, actually I will go first. I will go first. And then you comment on mine. On and what you tell you're me thinking. What you
1: yeah. Think. I'm wondering which Here, part you're asking. All right. About.
0: Here's my point. Here's my thought. I think that If you were either going for a new job, you can lowball your salary, or if you have an existing job, you can go to your boss and tell him, hey, I want to take a pay cut. And this is why. Because when you're traveling and you're living in a foreign country, whether you're an expat or a digital nomad, chances are your cost of living are going to be so much lower that you are going to be saving so much. First of all, if you do it properly, we'll get rid of your state tax and your corporate tax. Your insurance bill is going to be one third or one quarter. And if you guys don't believe me, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance and check out deals that they have on there. So, and you're going to have like a healthier lifestyle. You're going to probably be eating nicer and better food. And so if you have to take a pay cut, or if you have to do a job, which is going to allow you to do these things, but the pay is less, yeah. you will still come out ahead. You will still be better off. So it's not like before when it's like, I have to go for the job, which is going to pay me the absolute most because I need to save my money so I can go on a two week vacation every year or something like that. Yeah, The flexibility in the work and having them understand if the pay is less, you're you're still going to be better
1: off. Yeah. Gotcha. I, was, I didn't know which part you were saying. So for us, I, I don't think that you necessarily have to take a pay cut to do all this, right? If your employer understands that you are going to be just as valuable, get just as much done, there's no reason that you should have to. So I never recommend starting with that, right? Because if you can have that exact same salary and be traveling, why not? That being said, so in, inside the course, we definitely talk about it. Like, let's say I come to you and you're like, that's nice, Marissa, but sorry, no, like you're not doing this. Then that's when you kind of pull out your other levers and say, okay, well, what if you pay me X amount instead? Right? Because then it's like, all right, maybe, maybe then they're like, all right, you go travel. It's a win for me too. So I like to use that more as of like like a different leverage within the negotiation, but not necessarily a place to start.
0: My point on this is also though, that so many jobs have gone remote. And now that they've gone remote, chances are they're not going to be going back to the expensive offices. And there is massive cuts in employment at the moment. So I think that, okay, I'm not actually encouraging people to earn less money. Actually, I want you to earn as much money as possible. I want you to absolutely kill it. I am saying, though, that if you do have to take less money, it's cool because you're going to have a better life anyways and your expenses are going to be so much less right
1: you make more in the actual long term yeah exactly. So I'd say and that- i would
0: rather have you be the one that keeps your job like say if they have 50 employees and you know what it's covid and cutbacks and slow economy we're going to need to get rid of five people or 10 people do you think it's going to be the the person that is very valuable but at a lower pay grade, or the person that is at the highest pay grade—I don't know. And
1: those are all scenarios. Like maybe I, I'm hesitant to like say go do that because then you know maybe they're not letting anybody go, and then you just have a lower salary. So yeah, I definitely think it's it's worth it. And to your point, you know when you're living in Asia or different parts in Central South America or wherever, you know it might be far cheaper. So you're actually making like. If you were just to stay and keep paying that with your higher price point point, I mean your higher salary, it's going to be, you're making less essentially versus traveling because you're saving so much more elsewhere.
0: But don't you also kind of think, Marissa, that if you had one person, or actually, we don't even have to have it as an example, but don't you think that in a lot of cases, if it was earn a little bit less money, but kind of like really live the life of your dreams and do the things that you want, that- that might be worthwhile. Like, I mean, I know that you're on the expat money show. So we do talk about money and we want people to earn money. But at the same time, I mean, travel is just so rad. Like,
1: yeah, I know. We're like, we love it. It's a fabulous question. And the coaching that I do, I think, even whether you're looking at salary or is this lifestyle worth it, something I do as a coach is really have you look at kind of like, I almost call it the eye doctor test, right? Where they're like A or B, B or C, B or D, right? Um, which is better, and so, or I call it the silver platters test. Sometimes, where if, if I was talking to you, Mikkel, and you had, let's say, a new job offer, something a little bit different, you could do it remote. They're fine with you traveling, but you're going to make twenty thousand dollars less. Or you keep your current job, you keep the same salary, maybe even get a pay bump soon. So let's say you're making thirty thousand dollars more, and you're not allowed to travel the world. Right? It's a really hard question. I get good stuff talking about it. So that's something I would say in coaching, and you know whether you're working with me or just trying to work through yourself. I think we're so trained, especially US-centric, to be such achievers that a lot of times people wouldn't even consider, like, why the hell would I give up $30,000 to go travel the world? And to your point, financially, you might even save $30,000 very easily through you know, lower rent and all of that stuff. But let's even say you didn't for a second, let's pretend. You still might look at those two choices on your silver platter and say, I would say, you know, Mikhail, which which do you want to do? And it's something that's going to be different for everybody. Somebody might say, well, I've got a family, I've got kids, or this is really important. I've got debt. I can't take $30,000 less. I won't. That's more important to me. Somebody else might say, you know, I thought the money would be more important, but as I'm thinking about it, like I want to travel the world now. And I, it doesn't matter that $30,000 is so worth it to me to give up, to have that freedom. So, with everybody, it's it's a case by case. But I would really encourage anyone listening, if you have all these fears, or you might have to take a small pay cut or, or offer that in the negotiation, think about one: might you make up that money elsewhere? But two, is it worth it to you? And as Mikkel and I are saying, we're like, travel is the best. Like you, uh,
0: she says all this, but what she really means is like, pack your bag and go. Pack your bags and go because <laughs> the life. And we haven't even
1: talked as much about just like the epic travel that you know you're actually doing once you get this job, but travel for me. And again, it's not, I, I think about my brother sometimes because he he has two kids and a wife and the house and all the things, and he doesn't want to travel the way I do. And I don't think he'd be happy doing what I do, but like, I love it. And a lot of other people always say to me, like, I wish I could be living your life. I know I said that. And I always say you, you can. So if you're listening and if travel is appealing, like take our word for it. Your life will just be exponentially more amazing if you go do it.
0: Well, and an add-on to point to that is I do have a wife. I do have two children. Yes, and it is do not mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that
1: even more. Yes. Add, to that,
0: add to that. My mother travels with for us full time. Oh, so, I love
1: it. Does she really? Yeah. I don't think yeah, I yeah, do yeah. that. She's
0: been with us for five years. My mom has been traveling with us for five years. She helps take care of my kids and stuff. So, I mean, she's amazing. Like, I love the fact that My kid gets to spend time with her grandmother. So, you know, we're a traveling family. Yeah, when I started traveling, I wasn't, I was a kid. But I mean, if you are listening to this now and it's like, well, like, you know, this sounds amazing. I want to be a digital nomad. Versa sounds great, but I have these types of obligations. Well, I've been. I'm living proof that there are options out there.
1: And thank you for that. Because even with my brother, before he had kids and all of that, he still wouldn't have wanted to to do this, right? So I, but so important that you pointed out because that is another, we haven't talked about that one, but it is another limiting belief that people believe I'm not going to meet my partner or I can't travel with a partner. I can't travel with kids and I'm too old and I want to have kids. So if you want it, I think our message is like, you can have it. You can do it. There are people I think luckily, right? There's so many people out there to look as an example. Me, you, a zillion other people, and we love to to share all, all of those people. But um, it is possible. Well,
0: and there's what a great place to meet your spouse is when traveling the world. I mean, international romance is a very common thing, like very, very common. Actually, on a recent episode, we just had uh, someone on. We talked about how he met his. Partner in Brazil on a business trip and now is coming back and forth. And I mean, I would actually do more episodes about that. I think it's such an interesting, interesting topic
1: it's always someone people's favorites. I have a lot of friends. I've had different partners who I have met traveling for sure. And it's so fun in so many different ways versus just traditional dating, I think. But, um, so many people do meet lifelong partners and get married and they met, you know, from two different countries and a third, you know, mutual um, mutual country, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. You're like pointing to yourself. So if you're listening, it is definitely possible.
0: Amazing. So before we wrap up, I do want to spend a few minutes and kind of hear about your adventures. Tell me some of the cool things you've done. Like we've we've been alluding to it, but I mean, 60 countries, that's amazing. Let's hear some of the stories.
1: Oh, that's a big broad question.
0: What was your like what was your time like in Oman? I lived in the Middle East for 8 years and I loved my experience over there. What did you think of it?
1: Oman was really neat. So I had done a solo trip for just a little bit. I was coming from Argentina. I went to Egypt and Jordan by myself and then met I did a Wi-Fi tribe chapter in Oman. So again, um I mentioned a little bit about those, but there were I think 11 of us, probably Five or six of those people I had met in travel with in Indonesia and in Argentina and Thailand, like people who I had already met all over the world. And the other people were new. So actually for me, traveling through Egypt and Jordan was pretty exhausting as a solo female traveler, as you can imagine. And I, I would say it was it was totally worth it. And you grow and push your comfort zone and all of it, but it's a lot of being hassled from men. You can see I wear a lot of rings. I literally took this, this one here, I put it on my ring finger and had to pretend I was married for a lot of the time because it was so. Exhausting, but it was all part of the experience. So by the time I got to Oman, I was really grateful to be there because it was so different than a lot of other countries in the Middle East where like nobody hassles you. It is filled with oil money and it is like this beautiful, like the airport. I was just like, where am I? It was, you know, it's like marble everywhere and calm. And it's uh it's it's really different. Um, so that was an interesting contrast and it was a welcome change for me at at the moment. And on top of that, Oman, I knew nothing about it going. So it was really fascinating to learn about a lot of like male, female discrepancies of of what they're allowed to do and the, the differences from that. And then just traveling around, it is one of the most beautiful countries. There's like these islands with bright blue water that I never knew existed. Like we went through the desert for three days. We went to, they're called like the wadis, which are little like beautiful water through these canyons. So it is a really beautiful country. It's really easy to drive through. So that's kind of top line, some of those experiences.
0: Uh And nice and safe there as well. Super, super safe.
1: So yeah. safe to walk around. Like I felt more safe walking around there than even back in the States in, in many places.
0: Even in Egypt. Okay. What was your opinion? I know that you, you said you got hassled, but it wasn't, or was it, it wasn't violent, was it? It was more like uh, catcalling and yeah, trying to sell you stuff or trying to,
1: a lot of like selling stuff. And I will tell a fun story in Egypt for me afterwards. I went to a family wedding of a taxi driver I met. That was like the most epic travel experience I've had anywhere. So it comes with the you know high highs and low lows, right? But I remember I had this, I got in an Uber. I did like an Uber ride. It was like two hours from Cairo to out to the sea to I was just again by myself needed to get from from a to b in a quick amount of time and we had like the most fun drive there's this guy and like we were sharing whatsapp because we're like taking pictures along the way and sending them to each other and then afterwards he was just like hassling me texting me he was like but you know I've been thinking about you and I want to see you and let's meet up and I just stopped answering
0: (laughs) yeah
1: Oh, I know. And so I just stopped answering. And then it's like, I don't know if you can curse on the show. It's like, F you, da, da, da. You know, it's like people, they really, they almost like make you feel bad for not wanting. Yeah, I know. I know. So that's just one example. It's a lot of that. But at the same time, an, a different taxi driver who I met, who who took me from the airport to my hotel, he ended up taking, he, he was just so great. I, he took me around the next day, like to by the pyramids and things like that. I was, it was a pretty quick trip. I didn't have much time to do a lot there. And afterwards he was like, I'll take you to my favorite restaurant. And I was like, okay. You know, like I love to do what the locals do. So, you know, that was amazing. And he was like, my cousin is getting married tonight. Like, do you want to come? And I was like, I don't have a dress. I don't have anything. He's like, no, no, it's super casual. So he was like, all right, I'll pick you up from your hotel. You know, like 9 PM, we're going to pick up my cousin along the way. And part of me, I'm like, all right, this is as a female, I'm like, is this, should I be going doing this? But again, I trust my intuition. I'm like this, this guy, feels, it feels great. So. He picked me up, we went, drove through, like, the middle of nowhere outskirts of Cairo, pull up to these, it was um, set up between these two, like, giant apartment buildings, and it was this big stage and a DJ and, like, a horse going through and just... All of, it was, it was so wild on on one side, all of the females were like behind this wall where you couldn't even see them. Like they had to stay in their own area separate from the men. And then there's like this, you know, an area four times as big filled with all the men who are dancing and drinking. And so when I got there, they're like, no, no, you come sit with us. And I was like, but all the females are over here. Like I should probably be there. And they're like, they don't speak English. You're like, you come sit with us. So here I am, I also have, I had a broken foot at the time. I have this like boot. I'm like not dressed. Like, I mean, everybody's pretty casual, but I'm sitting here with all of these men being like, oh my gosh, all these women are gonna, like, this is not gonna be good. I had the most amazing night. Like the, the guys there took such good care of me. I was talking to so many people, like, I'm really getting to understand like life in Cairo. And I talked to them about their divorces and they, what their thoughts of their wives. And it was the most magical thing. And they sent me, they're like, you have to ride this horse in the middle of the stage. And again, this is all mad. I was like, guys, this is a bad idea, bad idea. And so they put me on this horse. I have a broken foot and it's like trotting around. I almost got bucked off, but it was one of those experiences I will never, ever, ever forget. And so that was along with all the hardship of Egypt, there's amazingness that comes from it.
0: I love it. That's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, I know that in some of these countries, um, there's a lot of catcalling. There's a lot of, you know, those types of things. But even though that happens, there's still incredible experiences to have, and your story is certainly proof of that. And I can also say that in other countries in the Middle East, it does not exist. It does not exist in, I mean, I've been to i lived in the UAE for eight years. I've been to Oman, to Kuwait, to Bahrain. I was in Iran. I mean, it just does not happen in any of those places. Morocco, yes. Egypt, certainly.
1: And it is interesting. Even in Oman, uh, we went to, we had this lunch with, she was a, like a, a student that one of my friends met and invite us to her home. And again, we we're like, she's like, bring all your friends. But then she said, like, you can't invite the males. So we we're like, okay, it's the middle of the day. And she was explaining Men in Oman can have four up to four wives, but women aren't even allowed to have men in their homes if the male isn't there. So it's interesting. There's no catcalling there, but then there's still so much, like there's, there's still so much room for, for women to be treated more equally. And it was interesting even going there and then we took a road trip to Dubai to the UAE and like in Oman, everybody's like covered up completely where like, you know, when I was there, you have to cover your shoulders, cover your knees and we get to Dubai. And my friend was like, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen a woman's shoulder in a month. Like this is wild. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I mean, that's to me also what travel is about is to get into these cultures and explore and learn these things because you can hear it, but to be there and feel it for an extended time is I just like, again, I feel like so much growth and knowledge and information comes from it. And you appreciate so much and yeah to me that's what travel's about
0: i love it brilliant marissa super super interesting conversation thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and your insights not just from the coaching side but also from the courses and how people can renegotiate their contracts or find the perfect remote job if my listeners want to find out more about what you do if they want to get a hold of you where can we send them
1: Yeah, absolutely. So beachcommute.com, you'll find just information about all things, how to to get a job, what we're all about. You go to beachcommute.com slash seven jobs. We have a great resource that just talks about the seven most common jobs. And then Mikkel and I are going to offer a discount for any of his listeners. If you're interested in the course, go to beachcommute.com slash expat. We can put those in the show notes so you can just kind of click through there but you will uh, get a special discount automatically applied if you're interested in joining the course and yeah, that's where you can find us.
0: Amazing. Super generous. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking care of my people. And I think this is really important stuff, guys. I think that it's really, really important and being prepared for it. I mean, that's half the battle because if you try to go this alone, yes, you might get through it, but I mean, why take a chance and make mistakes and delay things and, and, I mean, if there's a faster, easier, simpler, better way to do it, you know, like just learn from other people's mistakes. Don't learn from your own mistakes. Come on. How many times have I had to say this?
1: Yes. Wholeheartedly agree there.
0: Perfect. Marissa, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mikel. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world, and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore, and I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.